I think you had a question, didn't you, Christine? Yes. I, yes. She she reserved tonight, last Monday, in fact. <laughs> ah. No, I didn't reserve. Well. It won't take all night. Probably it'll take you about 10 15 minutes. Oh, no, well. No. <laughs> could, <laughs> could everyone here be so lucky? <laughs> Um, if, well, this is not a very pleasant question. Um, <laughs> <Ooh>. <laughs> then you probably won't get a very pleasant answer. <laughs> no, it's to do with suicide, actually. Mm. Um, now, if a Christian, uh, a committed Christian, uh, was in such a bad state of health, um, talking about somebody who's fully saved, you see, mm. was in such a bad state of health and so many different things happening around them, yeah. Um, like people they love, they've lost people they love, and all that sort of thing. And they've got nothing really in the life that's worth living. Yeah. How would that person stand with the Lord if they decided? Uh, now, first of all, let me say, say, say if that person was diabetic. Yeah. Right. And that person is only being being kept artificially alive by insulin anyway. Right. Right. Now, how would that person stand with the Lord <clears throat> if they stopped giving themselves injections? Well, yeah, Can I you mean, repeat the question right. The tape, well, so that we've got the okay. So the basically the question is, where would a Christian stand if they committed suicide, albeit in a very difficult situation, like you know, really bad illness or? Yeah, but that person is. is you've got to remember, is only being artificially kept alive. Anyway. Only being artificially kept alive, right? Okay. Well, the point about being artificially kept alive, like a diabetic, on the insulin, if they stop taking that drug or the insulin, knowing that that was going to result in their death, then that's still suicide. They're killing that's themselves. That's what I mean, because All God right. has supplied the, the insulin for them. That's right. I mean, life belongs to God. Right. Uh, we have no right to take life except in very limited scriptural situations. There are certain situations where to take life is not only okay with God, we're commanded to. Like, for instance, if someone is a murder, a murderer, premeditated murder means that the governors of the states of the police force in the country ought to put that person to death, all right? But suicide is an illegitimate taking of life because our life is given by God. It wasn't, I mean, it's a gift from him. We have no right to take it. So it would be a sin to commit suicide in any circumstances. And also a sin which would be unrepentable after. Well, so therefore, that sin is going to stand before them? No, of course it won't. Because now I'm coming on to the second part, where would that person stand with God? All right. Now that, the point being that when Jesus died on the cross, John said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now when Jesus died on the cross, the sin of the world was dealt with 100%. My sin went, your sin went, and the sin even of the people out there who aren't saved went. Jesus dealt with the sin of the world thoroughly. And it's for this reason that in the Bible, the teaching of Jesus is that if we believe, we have eternal life. But if we don't believe, we're condemned already. Because the only thing that now separates us from God is no longer sin. All right, The barrier of sin between us and God or an unbeliever in God, that barrier of sin was dealt with by Jesus on the cross. And what happened was that that sin barrier was replaced by him, by Jesus. Jesus now stands and separates a man from God, all right? The sin barrier has been dealt with, it went on Jesus. 
the only thing separating a man from God now is Jesus himself. And Jesus said, I am the door. Now, salvation is simply when you realize what Jesus has done and walk through him and then you're saved. Now, the fact is that you're saved by faith in Jesus. You, you simply receive from him a free gift. But we still have to live in repentance. We still have to, right. But the point is... To stay in fellowship. To stay in fellowship on a day-to-day -day basis, that is a different thing completely. Because, you see, the thing is that our status before God, say it runs into three different areas, all right? First of all, shall we say as a sinner, all right? One who has sin which has offended a holy God. Now, the judgment on us as sinners is past because Jesus took that judgment on himself. But when you, that's right, but when you believe on Jesus, you're then born again, you become a son of God. And there's a judgment on us, not as sinners, but as sons. And that judgment is going on day by day now because Father wants to bring his children up in a proper way. So having set us free from the penalty of sin once and for all, when we get born again, the Lord then works to set us free from the power of sin, okay? But there's even a third judgment as well, because we're not just sons, we're also servants. And one day we'll stand before the judgment seat of Christ and answer, not for our sins, not for our personal lives, but the quality of our service. What has been Jesus doing it through me, as opposed to just me doing it for Jesus, which doesn't count? Therefore, the point is this, that if we die with unrepentant sin in our lives as Christians, you see, the thing is this, that if I commit a sin, I am out of fellowship with the Lord, all right? I'm not in fellowship with him anymore. That's right. The only way I can get back into fellowship with him is to confess that sin on the basis of the death of Jesus. Confess that sin and make any amends, like for instance, oh, I lost my temper with someone, I've got to go and say sorry to them as well. And then I'm back in fellowship with God. But that judgment is only pertaining to my sonship. God trying to make me grow up to be the sort of person I ought to be. If I die without that sin dealt with, it doesn't make any difference at all, you see. Because when you die, you go straight to be with the Lord and remember that your sins, as a sinner, were all dealt with by Jesus on the cross. So if someone does themselves in, alright, decides to top themselves, alright, then what happens is, because they're Christians, because they're saved, because Jesus died for their sin, and because they've accepted him and walked through him as the door into salvation, they are saved. And their salvation, as with our salvation, is purely on what Jesus has done. It depends purely on what Jesus has done. Therefore, you cannot lose it in any way at all. Yes, so that is what I thought actually until somebody in the week said, "No, somebody does that, and they're out of fellowship with God, and they're lost eternally lost." No, well that's true. In, in that fact, un untrue. That's right. Of course they are, because the whole. I mean, it's a bit of a chestnut that suicide means you can lose your salvation. I mean, the onus, as far as I'm concerned, is for anyone to show me one verse in the Bible that says you can lose your salvation, because the total teaching of the Bible is that you can't, and one would expect that. If Jesus saved me, then how can one be lost on the basis of, I mean, you could only be lost if Jesus consciously decided to boot you out. 
And the Bible specifically says that nothing can separate us from his love. Now, the whole point is that if you top yourself, you're doing wrong. You're committing a sin. But once you do that, your life down here is over. There is no more sanctification to be done in you because the minute you die, you lose your sinful nature, which is housed in your body. You are then perfect. So, there's no loss of salvation. Of course there isn't. All it means is that at the judgment seat of Christ, you won't get a reward for topping yourself. That's all it means. That's all it means. And I mean, it's very pertinent. Um, one yeah, you know, thing... I thought, I thought it sounded a bit, you know, as soon as somebody said to me, no, as soon as someone does that, they're finished with Well, no, of course they're not. I mean, they can't possibly be. Of course they're not. I mean, I know that a lot of Christians believe it. if you commit suicide, you're lost. But I mean, it's again, absolutely I ridiculous. It well, no, no. I mean, it's still them taking their own life, which is a sin. Because a person might even decide, right, the Lord's healed me of diabetes, I'm not going to take any more insulin. Ah, oh, right. Then that would be different. Ah, oh, yeah, but if, if someone said, I'm now healed, threw their drugs away, found they were, <laughs> but only when they landed in the coffin, then however, however unwise, and I will counsel against that, all right, however unwise that may be, it's not suicide, because... They've stopped taking the drugs because they think they're healed, not because they're trying to commit suicide. So that would be different altogether. That would be death by stupidity, <laughs> all right? Whereas, <laughs> whereas suicide is death by a conscious topping of oneself, if you see what I mean. Um, but, I mean, it all boils down to the fact that, that we're saved on the basis of what Jesus has done, therefore salvation cannot be lost. Now, I was very affected some years ago by a story that I read. There's a guy in, um, over in Northern Ireland called Willie Mullen, and he was kind of a, an evangelist, and then he ended up pastoring a church. And he was greatly used by God, and, and his wife died. I mean, he got fairly elderly in that, and his wife died. And, uh, but he was still sort of going around in ministry and things like that. And then one day, out of the blue, he committed suicide. I mean, he sent a few shockwaves through. Now, Willie Mullins should not have committed suicide. He, he sinned when he committed suicide. It was wrong. You, you shouldn't take your own life. But you see, the point was that as people managed to piece it together, I mean, the whole point was this, that, I mean, he, he didn't really get over the death of his wife. And I mean, who, who can blame him for that, all right? He couldn't really get over the death of his wife. But because he was in a position of being used by God, all right, and I mean, I find this to a certain extent. I've got problems the same as everyone else. But when people find out you're a Bible teacher, they just expect you to hear their problems, which is fair enough. That's part of your job. But what happened was that he tried to turn to people in his loneliness. Because they, I mean, people naturally assume that if you've got a ministry that God has proved, you know, has, has proven. People assume that you're really together, man. You see, they don't ask me why, they assume it. Now, what you don't expect to see, you won't see. Therefore, as Willie Mullen tried to turn to people in his loneliness and grief, they didn't realise he was doing that. They came to him, looking up to him as pastor and leader. And of course, he then automatically, because he loved the Lord and them, put himself to one side and ministered to their problems. But all the time he was getting lonelier and lonelier and lonelier, and eventually he committed suicide. Now, he was wrong to have done that, and yet I think all of us can understand that situation. It was a tragedy, all right? But 
Can you see how lunatic it would be if we look at Willie Mullen, a man over 60-odd years, greatly used by God, all right, grief overcomes him, it needn't have overcome him, nothing need overcome us, nothing need overcome us, but sometimes it does, all right. He gave in, he couldn't go on anymore, he committed suicide. On the basic, can you see how ridiculous it is to postulate, has he lost his salvation? I mean... I mean, can you see it would be a, a grotesque kind of father who would do that to him? Can you see? It puts it in perspective. But, I mean, Willie Mullen is now with the Lord. He's sorry he committed suicide, you see. But, on the other hand, he's, he's with his wife again, so he's probably secretly glad he did. Can you see what I mean? But the point is that the, the sin of that suicide, the judgment on that as sin, was put on Jesus 2,000 years ago. The only thing that separates anyone from Jesus is to not believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And Willie Mullen had believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. I have. If I blew my brains out tomorrow, I'm not going to. <laughs> but if I did, nothing can change the fact that I've believed on the Lord. And therefore, Jesus has saved me. So there's no question of people who commit suicide losing their salvation. They go straight to be with the Lord. It's just that they won't have any reward for that at the judgment seat of Christ. So does that mean that anything you do wrong once you're a Christian is okay and you can die and go straight to heaven? Does that, like you say, if I, if I want to divorce my wife now, even though I'm a Christian, I can still go straight to heaven? You have been saved on the basis of what Jesus has done for you. Therefore, if you've been born again, if you have believed on Jesus, yes, you can do just what you like, and I'm sorry, you're going to go to heaven. Because when Jesus died on the cross, he did it properly. All right? Now then, but having said that, having said that, obviously I am not condoning, I am not sort of saying, I'm not encouraging people to live in sin or to go ahead and sin. And indeed in Romans, Paul the Apostle himself dealt with this very problem. Because on the one hand, he was saying, of course you can, you know, you're saved by faith. Now, other people were saying, well, does that mean you can do what you like? Mm. And what Paul was saying was, <coughs> yes, you can do what you like, but I'm certainly not. He says, God forbid that you should do what you like. But the point is that if salvation is by faith in Jesus, as we know it is, then it cannot be by anything we do. It's one or the other. And the Bible says that it's through faith in Jesus. And the fact that, that we are born again means that when we die, we will go to be with the Lord. All right. And I mean, the classic example, I mean, if there was one person in the Bible who ought to have lost his... If, if salvation can be lost, there's one bloke in the Bible that we would expect had lost it, and that was King Saul. I mean, he went as... I mean, he was as miserable a believer as you can get. I mean, what he... He sort of, well, I mean, what, he was converted and lived another 40 years or something like that, and he was out of fellowship with God for 39 of them. I mean, he was a total failure as a believer, you see. Now that, I mean, he went into the occult, it was dreadful what he ended up doing. And eventually, he committed the sin unto death. All right, now, in John, in his epistle, talks about the sin unto death. And it's simply when God has dealt with one of his children so severely, and that child is still not listening to God, is still unrepentant, when God will get to the point and say, I'm wasting my time with you, mate, I'm not going to get any maturity out of you, you better come home, hadn't you? 
And so it got to the point where God, you know, eventually said, right, Saul, your time's up, you can come home. And this was revealed to him when the spirit of Samuel, when Samuel came up out of the place of the dead in the center of the earth, appeared to Saul and he said, tomorrow you and your sons will be with me. Now, where was Samuel? He was in the believer's compartment. He was in paradise, you see. So, you know, I mean, of course salvation can't be lost because it's Jesus who has won our salvation and he's done it quite thoroughly. So there's no question about so-and-so did this, will they be lost when they die? No, but they'll lose reward for that at the judgment seat of Christ. It's as simple as that. And would you say Father will deal with them down here? Well, no, because if someone commits the sin of suicide, <laughs> God can't deal with them down here. You see, by definition. Oh, talking about John? Oh, Oh, yeah. No, nothing will be held against any Christian when they die because yeah let's let's not waste breath on runcy and I mean that let's not waste breath on what a man like that thinks all right he's a heretic he's got nothing to say pertaining to the law's word all right he's renounced the law's word he doesn't believe the law's word so we're not interested in what people like runcy say we're interested in what the word of God says and the whole point is that salvation is because of what Jesus has done, you see. Now, Jesus has saved us by his blood on the cross. Now, that means, and I mean, it's got to mean that once we're saved, we can abuse our salvation. Of course we can. It means that someone who has followed the law for ten years, if they then want to, they can go back to the world. And sometimes you meet Christians who, should we say, backslide for a couple of years. Or they do something really wrong and they don't repent of it or something like that. And it, it kind of shipwrecks them. All right. But the point is they've been born again. Now, I put it to you like this. All right. If it's possible to lose your salvation, be it through suicide, divorce or whatever. All right. If it's possible for us to lose our salvation then I put it to you that you could never sleep at night. Because if a bloke like Willie Mullen got to the point where he was driven to suicide, what guarantee do any of us have that we might not end up in that situation? Can you see what I mean? I.e., if salvation can be lost, you can never have any assurance that you're saved until you actually get to heaven. And you're in the same situation as the Jehovah's Witnesses, as the Mormons, as all these sectarian people, because none of them have the knowledge that they're saved. Can you see it? They're working for their salvation. It depends not on what Jesus does, it depends on what they are doing. All right. So then, the whole point is that if we believe, or if a Christian believes that they can lose their salvation, then in effect, their faith is salvation by works. All right. It depends on them. Now, given that all of us can fail, 
that would mean that Willie Mullen didn't make it. And if Willie Mullen didn't make it, what chance have we got? Can you see what I mean? You might have an easy life and, and breeze through. But on the other hand, tragedies happen, even to Christians. Alright, say tomorrow, Judy was run down by a bus, and he might not be able to handle that. He might say, I, I don't believe, I don't, well, it depends what the insurance is for, doesn't it? No, can you see that Andy, he may cave in under that. He may not be able to, to, to sort of get God's grace. He may end up bitter against God. So where does it come in about that he won't push us further than what we're able to bear? Well, that's right, he won't, so what, but it's... This, Right, but the whole yeah, I mean, that's right. But you see, the whole point is, let's go back to Willie Mullen, okay? Now then, at the moment, presumably, when he committed suicide, he probably felt that he couldn't bear it anymore. But when he felt that, he believed a lie. Because the Bible says that God will not tempt us or test us beyond our ability to endure. Now, that is true. Now, I've discovered that the truth of that is that in the Lord I can take an awful lot more than I thought I actually could. The number of situations I've been in where I've said, this cannot go on, all right? And six months later, I'm saying, this cannot go on. Can you see? Because you can take it in the Lord, but... Moment by moment, it's for us to decide in any situation, am I going to do what the Lord wants, or am I going to do what I want? Therefore, someone could commit suicide, but they needn't. They could have gone on. Of course they could have gone on, but they gave in to that deception. And obviously the root of suicide is selfishness. Of course it is. It's to put yourself out of agony. It's selfishness. You see, so then obviously, um, I mean, someone who commits suicide, yeah, they're going to be convinced that, um, you know, that, that sort of they can't go on anymore. But that won't be true if they're Christians. Then, what, it, however hard their situation, it's not too much for them to bear because God Himself has said He will never let them get into a situation that is too much for them to bear. You know, but I mean, again, it's our weakness. Well, no, I mean, uh, he heaven forbid that I should sit in judgment on, you know, but obviously, of course, he was being finally selfish. Can you see that? Out of one's misery, you see. So, so, I mean, certainly, when you're talking about suicide, obviously, at the root of it, is selfishness. If it wasn't, if the root of suicide wasn't sin, it wouldn't be wrong. Can you see what I mean? It'd be all right. So what chance have we got if William Mullen had sort of got rid of himself to that, you know what I mean, after being in the ministry He was so in his long. 70s. He was an old That's man. That's what I'm saying. Well, if he hadn't got rid of self, I mean, we're struggling every day. We've got mm. to grow. We've got to get rid of self. That's really the mm. enemy, isn't it? Self. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? So William Mullen was in this uh, ministry for, what, 20, 30 years. So self finally took over. Do you know what I mean? Well, well, it's not so much that self finally took well, over. Well, but the, the, because, the self actually give it. Well, yeah, but at any moment, in any day, we can give in to self. I mean, this is the Christian life, isn't it? 
It's the constant, am I going to submit to what Jesus is saying, or am I going to submit to what my sinful nature yeah, is saying? If we're growing, if we're growing in the Lord, each time we get stronger. Right. So therefore, finally, you know, after that many years of, of, of Mullen, surely he has enough strength. Do you know what I mean? Of course he has. And been close to the Lord, and yet he could feel just like that. Well, that's right. We can all fail just like that. We can all fail just like that. That is the truth. We needn't fail just like that, though. This is the point. We needn't, but we have it in us to do so. Now, all I'm saying is that, obviously, salvation... It, it must be true that salvation cannot be lost, and the Bible says it can't. But I'm just showing you the logic of it. So it, it's not possible for salvation to be lost because if it could be lost it's not salvation because if one person can lose their salvation you can never have any guarantee that you won't lose your salvation can you see what I mean? because it's, it's no use I mean it's like I've spoken to people who believe that they can lose their salvation I used to think you could and I was a frightened Christian as a result of it subconsciously it put fear into me but I've spoken to these people and really, what they're saying is that if you backslide or if you get into sin and you don't put that right before you die or whatever, that you're going to lose your salvation. And if you say to them, you say, well, I mean, all right, how do you know you're not going to lose your salvation? Are you sure you're going to be in heaven? They say, oh, yes, of course we're sure. And you say, why? And they say, well, because we're not going to fall away. Well, that, I, I put you as presumption. Can you see? What guarantee? They're saying I'm, you know, they're looking for something in themselves that inherently means they cannot lose their salvation, which is absolutely crazy. So if someone like Willie Mullen could cave in... Now, I, I'm not advocating caving in. I know it's very rare that people do commit suicide in the kingdom of God. But all I'm saying is I chose him to demonstrate the lunacy of the situation that sort of Willie Mullen as a result of committing suicide, is now in Hades waiting for the lake of fire. Whereas you might have another Christian who never actually committed suicide, but lived a really lukewarm Christian life in paradise, waiting to rule with Christ during his thousand-year reign on the earth. Can you see how lunatic that would be? There's no justice in that, and yet shall not the God of the earth do right. And so the point is that salvation is on the merit of what Jesus alone has done. We receive that as a free gift. And once received, it cannot be lost. And, um, you know, so, I mean, again, question, should a, you know, should a Christian commit suicide? Most definitely not. It's a sin. Question, if they do, are they lost? Praise the Lord, of course they're not, because they were saved on the basis of what Jesus did. So, of course, they're not lost. They're with the Lord in paradise, up in heaven. But in they fact, won't get reward for that at the judgment seat of Christ. In fact, Saul committed suicide. Because it says in there, effect, he, yeah, yeah, he did. He, he drew his sword, took his own sword and fell on it. Hmm. And yet, the yeah. scripture says, as Beresford has pointed out, that he was with Samuel. So we have a direct case of a suicide, hmm. which the Bible says was in paradise. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I personally believe that with any of us, yeah, I can see what you're saying, but that isn't what the Bible teaches. 
I mean, I mean, I know that that's an accepted teaching in the Catholic Church, but it's not what the Bible teaches. Um, and I mean, again, if if there's a time of cleansing when we die, then the death of Jesus on the cross somehow wasn't complete. I mean, the Bible teaches very clearly what happens to somebody when they die. And I mean, if a believer dies, they go straight to paradise to be with Jesus, all right? And when an unbeliever dies, they go straight down into Hades and await there the final judgment. So, I mean, there's no interim period of cleansing. Uh, I say, I appreciate the teaching, but it doesn't come from the Bible. It's an extra-biblical teaching. Um, in actual fact, the original idea of it was taken from the... Um, what are those books called? The ones between the Old and New Testament? That's right. Yeah, I mean, it's partially in the um, Apocrypha that it teaches that. But again, the Apocrypha isn't part of the Word of God. But certainly, if you read the Old Testament and the New Testament and put them together, then, I mean, there is, is not even a hint of, of any kind of process of cleansing that goes on once we die. And praise God for it. I mean... How could one say to depart with Christ, which is far better if you knew that you died only to do a bit of suffering? <laughs> I mean, it's crazy, isn't it? Jesus suffered on the cross in our place. He took the judgment on our sin, of our sin on himself. And so, in fact, that if, if the purgatorial idea was true, then, I mean, okay, ultimately when you die, there's something to look forward to, to be with Christ. But the interim period, which goes on for man knows not how long, whether it's three days or a million years, there'd be no way to determine. It could possibly be either. The really good Christians might do a few weeks, but the really bad ones, like me, and I put it like you, because I, I've never met these really good Christians. They've got years and years and years and years to do. Now, can you see that whereas the, the distant bit, the being with Christ, is something to look forward to, the purgatorial period would be awful. <laughs> I mean, it'd be terrible. You see, but it would deny the work that Jesus did on the cross, and certainly with all the detail we're given in the scripture about what happens when we die, if there was this time of cleansing halfway twixt earth and, and, and heaven, then we'd expect the Bible to teach it, but in fact it doesn't at all, and uh, I'm jolly glad it doesn't, you know, I'm glad that when I die I will go straight to be with Jesus. Particularly of uh, what's that woman who that great woman who had that wonderful gift of healing? She, what? gift of healing, that American, American woman. Catherine Gorman. Catherine Gorman, you know, Gorman. towards the end of her yeah. life, you know, she uh, she had a wonderful ministry, and yet um, her private life wasn't all that. Oh, it was a shambles, yes. <laughs> and then uh, towards the end of her life, she had this most dreadful illness, didn't she? And it was whether. The Lord came into was, you know, came into that or something, and she, and she, she gave instructions to, to her biographer to tell it as it was, mm. and uh, I, I just wonder whether, um, you know, that was a, a, a yeah, that's what I, I thought perhaps Sheila might have meant it in that respect, you know, a time mm. of cleansing towards the end, yeah. like, where your sins catch up on you, and you know what I mean, and you, um, yeah, I, I just. Feel that none of us, when we die, are worthy enough to be completely with the Lord. But I do believe that this, there's a time of cleansing. I don't know much about 
much about it, but I believe, and we do pray for holy souls. Are there souls that are on their journey to the Lord? And we do pray for them, and it's, that's really why we've got the communion of saints. You have the saints in heaven, you have the saints in holy poetry, and we have the saints and the, the people on the souls. If you call them souls, it's better. And we have souls like us here. And that's what the communion of saints is, that the saints in heaven can pray for the souls in purgatory and for us. And we can pray for the souls in purgatory. <coughs> and that's, um, that's how it is. Yeah. But, but there's no reason why they, why they should be in purgatory if Jesus has died for them, because it's Jesus who makes us worthy. We don't make ourselves worthy. He, he, gives, he makes us righteous. He clothes us with his righteousness. This is why it's so humbling to be a Christian because there's nothing you can do <laughs> to go towards your salvation. You've got to come with nothing. Yes. And you have to take it from Jesus. So if you're saying that we're not worthy, what you're really saying is that what Jesus did upon the cross wasn't good enough. Mm. You see what I mean? That's what you're really saying. I mean, I'm worthy <coughs> simply because Jesus has died for me and I'm being, I've been cleansed in his blood. And that's what, and he has given me a robe of righteousness. He has covered me with his righteousness. And that makes me absolutely, that make, causes me to stand pure before the Father in heaven. This is why I go into the Holy of Holies. This is why I can approach the Father, because I'm covered in Jesus and what he did for me, you see. And I could do it uh, uh, because he has done it for me, you see. And, and uh, so. I mean, of myself, I would never be holy. None of us would. No matter how much we, we prayed and, and patched ourselves up, none of us would be um, righteous enough. But Jesus has covered us with his righteousness. Mm -hmm. And therefore, um, because of his perfect work, then I can stand before the Father and all the angels in heaven absolutely cleansed and uh, covered in his righteousness. Even if I haven't repented. Well, well, I mean, you one, one repents when one becomes a Christian, you know, the first big repentance, you know what I mean, when you yes. turn away from your sins and you accept what Jesus has done. Yeah. A lot There's of that. people, I would say, may not have, they may believe in Jesus, but they might not have felt it so deeply that they repented. Well, I mean, so they, they I need to have an understanding that, that Jesus has, has died for them. I mean, they, they, they must have an understanding, otherwise you're not a Christian. Unless you, unless you, you know, uh, unless you realise first of all that there is something between you and a holy God, and and, um, and that God has done something about it, and you accept what He's done about it. You know what I mean? You accept what He's done. Sorry, I shouldn't be. Yeah, no, no, that's yeah, that's all. Yeah, I mean, I think the main problem here, and it's a problem that we hit up against a lot, and we all have to fight it one way or the other. And I think it's this. Have you ever heard of the children of God? Maybe it's an organisation or church. That's right. Right. Now, during the 60s, in the States, there was a real outpouring amongst the hippies. And, and many, you know, they called themselves the Jesus people. And many, many of them got converted. Now, one of the, if you like, sort of groups of people where God really moved and saved people. They ended up in a movement called the Children of God, and it came over to this country as well. And it was a church. It was a movement amongst young people.
Now, in the first few years of it coming into existence and continuing on, it was a genuine move of the Holy Spirit. It was a genuine Christian church uh, where, you know, sort of it was absolutely, I mean, it, if someone said, I want to join the children of God, I'd have said, well, assuming it's clear that God's leading you to, there's no reason you shouldn't. It's a terrific thing that God's doing. But then what happened was that the leadership began to move away from the teachings of the scripture. Now, what happened was that over the next few years, it sort of, it, it sort of turned into a sect. So that, for instance, now, the leader is into occult practice. And that, I mean, for instance, they will send their girls out onto the street, all right? And they, if, if they can get you converted to the children of God by having sex with you, they will, all right? Now, and they do this because their leader is telling them to do that. You know, that's what God wants you to do. So these young girls, they'll go out on the, they call it flirty fishing, I think, or something. But they'll go out and they'll sleep with you if they think they've got a child. They'll love you into the kingdom. Now, the point is that that was a genuine church. But what they're doing now, we can see it's a false church, and we certainly throw our arms up in, in horror uh, certainly the sexual looseness, the occultism, etc., etc., and we'd be right to do so. But the only reason that, that we do that, the only reason we know that what they're doing is wrong, is because they have left the Bible in its teaching. That what they did is they've said that our final authority is now not the Bible, our final authority is Dave Berg, who's their leader, or Moses, as they call him. Now, as soon as they came out from under the Bible as being their final authority and put themselves under a man, Satan, because this bloke had absolute authority, Satan was able to deceive him and spread wrong doctrines. So that it started a little bit, all right, and it ended up until they were believing totally false teaching. Now, so that what they're believing does not tie up with the Bible, all right, and they've got into error and believe all sorts of crazy things because their teaching, it comes loosely from the Bible, but the real is their leader, okay, and the doctrines, as it were, of their church. Now, part of the problem we've got in the church today is that we've come out from under the Bible as being our final authority. Now, the great warning in the scripture for the last days is that false teachers would arise and that doctrines of demons would start to creep into the church. Now, the only way we can ever identify a doctrine of demons or a counterfeit teaching is to test it with the word of God because the Bible is our final authority. But what's happened in churches today is that we have allowed the Bible to be replaced by a different authority, uh, be it tradition, be it the leaders, or whatever. Now, anywhere that happens, eventually Satan is going to be able to filter down false teaching, but because the Bible isn't considered the final authority, no one's going to identify it and say, hey, that's wrong, that's not what the Bible says. And so you get people, and remember, the children of God were genuine saints of God, genuine Christians who ended up deceived and believing crazy things. And it's happening through, you know, in our churches by and large. Now, I mean, the children of God are very exceptional with their sexual laxness and that, but the point is all error is wrong and all sin is sin. So, I mean, today we've got 
our traditions and things like that. And bit by bit, they've taken us away from the Word of God. So you can turn to what the Word of God says, and it says one thing, but our tradition says something else, and will bow down to what man says rather than what God says. And it's like for you, now, the example that you're in is the Catholic Church. Now, again, it's an example. And, of course, what's gone wrong is that the final authority in the Catholic Church isn't the Bible, all right? Because the final authority is the Church and its own history and doctrine with the Pope, yes, but you see. Also, it's also governed by the Pope, who is guided by the Holy Spirit. Well, yeah, it but is. the point is... It's if, important, Right, it? yeah, of course it is. But the point is this. The children of God believe they're being led by the Holy Spirit. Those young girls will go out and they'll get a stranger off the streets, they'll sleep with them in an effort to get them into the kingdom of God. And those girls believe they're doing God's will, alright? They believe they're being led of the Holy Spirit. Now you and I know they're not, but the only way we know they're not is because it's the Bible that tells us the Holy Spirit would never lead someone into sin. Now, in exactly the same way, all right. I mean, I agree the priesthood of all believers means that sometimes the Pope is going to be right. <laughs> I believe that. But the point is, he's only a man. Now, for anyone, all right, to claim to be led by the Holy Spirit, be it the Pope, be it me, Robert, any of us, if we're going to say the Holy Spirit's leading me to do this, it's got to be tested by everyone on the basis of the Word of God. You see? I mean, it's like if I came up to you and I said, you know, the Holy Spirit's told me to ask you for 50 quid. I'm a minister. I'm a minister. Yeah. You see, I. You see. Exactly. It has to be established that it is That's right. But you see, the point is that the doctrines in the Catholic Church, they're not, they don't tie up with what the Scripture teaches. There is not one word, there's not even a hint in the Bible about purgatory. So it's possibly, it's possibly one of those things that either you could believe. Well, it is a doctrine, though, isn't it? If you think about it, a very important one. Because surely what happens when we die is what it's all about, isn't it? You see. Now, again, if one goes into Mary, all right. Now, then, the Bible and the New Testament forbids prayer to the dead. You see, it forbids it utterly. No, and yet, you don't pray to the dead. Well, you, you pray do. To the Lord. No, you pray to the Lord for the dead. Well, yeah, right, but prayer for the dead. Yeah, right. Prayer to the oh, dead. You don't and pray. pray to the no. Right, but yeah. prayer for the dead, yes. even. I mean, it's not allowed in the scripture. And you see, the point is that what one's got is the basic teachings of the New Testament. And the Catholic Church, it's not just the Catholic Church, lots of churches have done it in their own versions. They've built on it until the traditions and the doctrines that they've come up with are considered to be more authoritative than what the Bible says. All right? So the whole point is that then you get false teaching, and that deceives people. The ordinary people sitting in the pew who want to serve God, but they take what their leaders say as being the word of God, when their leaders are false teachers. And of course, the way we ascertain if someone is a false teacher is, is what they're teaching in line with the word of God. That's the whole point, you see. Now, 
obviously, once you get into the areas of, of kind of like when you die, uh, sort of like the purgatorial period and things like this, it's, it's totally unbiblical. And in fact, it's not just that the Bible doesn't say anything about that. The Bible teaches positively that that cannot be true. Because the teaching of the Bible about death is that when you die, if a believer dies, they depart to be with Christ, which is far better. And there is immediate departure to be with Jesus. There is no purgatorial period whatsoever. It's got nothing to do with the Bible. It's come from a totally pagan, uh, sort of outside belief. But it's been imposed on the Bible. This is the point. It's much the same with the Mass, it's much the, the same mass, with the mass, the mass as well. Is That's right. The mass is, is the actual word means sacrifice. That's right. And Christ was the once for all sacrifice. Yeah. There is yeah. That's right. Yes. Where did Jesus go? I mean, yeah. When Jesus died. Yeah. Where did he go? Right. Did when Jesus. No. When Jesus died, his body went into the grave. Oh, but where did his soul go? Right. His soul went down into paradise. Do you remember he said to the thief on the cross, oh, today you'll be with me in paradise? Yeah, I thought he went right. to hell. Pardon? I thought he was Right, okay. Now, again, a little bit of false teaching creeping in there. Because hell, hell is not a biblical word, all right? Hell is simply an old English transliteration of the Hebrew word sheol, all right? Which just means the place of the dead. Yeah. Now then, what we, un what we know from the Bible is that at the time when Jesus died, at the centre of the <laughs> earth, all right, there were three different compartments, all right? One compartment, all right... During the recording of this message, for some reason the tape packed up for a few moments. Therefore, allow me to just fill in what the message was saying at this point so you can continue the argument. It was being said that at the centre of the earth there are three compartments. Now the two that were dealt with very, very quickly during the time that the tape packed up was the fact that two compartments in the centre of the earth are for people when they die. One was a place for the unbelievers called Hades. The other was a place called Abraham's bosom. Now this was spoken about by Jesus in the New Testament in the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. Lazarus, who died, who was saved, went into the compartment with Abraham, or the believer's compartment. The unbeliever went into Hades, the unbeliever's compartment. And that we read in that parable that there was a great chasm fixed between them. Therefore, we know from this that at the time of Jesus, Beneath the centre of the earth, two of the compartments were for people when they died. One was for unbelievers, Hades, a place of torment. The other was a compartment called Abraham's bosom for believers, also called paradise by Jesus. At this point, the message can continue. The recording is bad for one or two minutes, but then returns to normal. Thank you very much. Tartarus is the place 
where the evil spirits who manifested during the time of Noah, they were locked up in Tartarus, all right, so that they couldn't cause any more harm. So Tartarus is a place where these, that particular group of demons who, who did the, you know, all the stuff at the time of Noah were put. Let's just have a look at that. Let's, let's, let's clear this up because it's very, very important. And also, in doing this, I will actually touch on the one verse in the Bible that has ever been quoted to try and prove that there's um, a purgatory, all right? Now then, if you find two Peter, two Peter, all right? Now, the problem with the word hell is that English translators have bunged it in the Bible willy-nilly, all right? And regardless of what Greek word is used, they bung in hell as an all-encompassing term. Shoal is a Hebrew word for the place of death. Sheol is it's mentioned in the Psalms, yeah, certainly. But if you find 2 Peter chapter 2, alright? 2 Peter chapter 2, and I'm going to read from verse 4. 2 Peter 2 verse 4. Now then, listen to this. For if God did not spare the angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell. Now, that is a wrong translation. In your Bibles, you've all got a little note by hell, yes? And look at the bottom and what does it say? It says Tartarus, because that's what the Greek word says. Tartarus, not hell, Tartarus. That's 2 Peter 2, verse 4, alright? So, if God did not spare the angels when they sinned, but cast them into Tartarus and committed them to pits of nether gloom to be kept until the judgment. If he did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness, with seven other persons when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly. Now then, just notice, he's talking about some demons who God chained up in Tartarus. Alright, the centre of the earth, and it's called the bottomless pit, alright, also, it's the same place. And these demons are linked with something that happened in the time of Noah, alright? Now bear that in mind, and go back to Genesis 6 with me, and we'll actually see what's happening here. Okay, Genesis chapter 6, and this is just prior to the flood. When men began to multiply on the face of the ground, and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of men were fair, and they took to wife such as them as they chose. Alright? Now, that's all we need to know. Now, that phrase, the sons of God, what does it mean? Some commentators say it just means men. Alright? But, if you, let me just read, if you turn to Job, we're doing a bit of a jumping about tonight, but turn to the book of Job, and remember that the Bible, if some of you are having trouble, I'll read it first, so, so no problem. If you find Job and chapter 38. Job is just before fun. Job chapter 38. Um, sorry, Job 39, I think it is. Oh, it is, 38, verse 7, that's it, verse 7. 
His body went into the grave, but Jesus, the soul of Jesus, the real him, went down into paradise. Now, he was there for three days and for three nights. And where was he? In the believer's compartment. But these verses that I'm going to read now tell us about one thing that Jesus did while he was in the center of the earth for three days and three nights. Remember, he was in paradise with all the believers. What were they doing? They were having an ease up. Why were they having an ease up? Because salvation had been accomplished. When Jesus died on the cross, he said, it is finished, and he meant it. Everything needed for our salvation, everything needed to, for our, a complete, full and victorious Christian life was gained by Jesus when he died on the cross. So it was a massive party. All right. Now then, there was one other thing that Jesus did. Now then, when Jesus died on the cross... Satan and every demon on the face of the earth were looking and they knew that they'd been beaten. So when Jesus died on the cross, it was known comprehensively throughout the kingdom of Satan, apart, you know, amongst Satan himself and every demon on the face of the earth and floating around in the air, they all knew that they were beaten when Jesus died on the cross. In Colossians, it says, he made a spectacle of them when he died on the cross. That's what it says. All right. He made absolute asses of Satan and the demons when Jesus died on the cross. He publicly disgraced them All right, when he died on the cross. So then, all the demons and Satan knew that Jesus had beaten them on the cross. All the demons, that is, except the ones who weren't on the face of the earth. Because remember, there's a bunch of demons who were down in Tartarus since the time of Noah. And they didn't know that the death of Jesus had happened, did they? They're down in the, in, in the centre of the earth. They've got no contact. They did not know that the death of Jesus had beaten them. Satan knew. Every other demon knew because they were free. But this lot down in the centre of the earth, in Tartarus, they didn't know. And Jesus wanted them to know. So do you know what he does? He zaps over to Tartarus. For, for the biggest Yabu sucks that, that there's ever been. All right? Now then, bearing that in mind, Jesus, all right, now wants these demons in Tartarus to know that they're beaten as well. All right? So any hopes they've got of freedom and victory are gone. Now then, let's start from verse 18. All right? This is 1 Peter 3, verse 18. Bear in mind what I've said. For Christ also died for sins once for all. Notice that, once for all. No need for masses, all right? No need for further sacrifices. He died for sins once for all. And that's why you can't lose your salvation, because Jesus died for you once for all, all right? He died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous. So that tells us who he died for, me, the unrighteous. That he might bring us to God. Now, we're going to see how literal that is in a few moments, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit. What does this mean? It means this. He's put to death in the flesh. He dies on the cross physically. And Jesus died physically. His body went into the grave. Jesus was dead. But he was made alive in the Spirit, i.e. the Holy Spirit, because Jesus was saved, kept him alive. Can you see what I mean? When I die, I'm going to be kept alive in the Spirit. 
because I'll be with Jesus. I won't. There's no annihilation. Neither will I go down into Hades, into the unbeliever's compartment, all right? So he's put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit. Now listen to this. In which he went and preached to the spirits in prison, who formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah during the building of the ark. Now then, let's understand this. Firstly, let's look at preached, all right? Now, some people say that Jesus is now evangelizing people who are dead. He's not. In the Greek, there are different words for preached, all right? Now then, there's the word, the Greek word evangelozo. Now, if I was going to go out and preach the gospel to you, wanting to get a response, all right, then the Greek word I would use is evangelozo. That is not what the writer here uses. The word here is caruso, and the word simply means to proclaim. A town crier, all right, pronounces a caruso, if you like. Not the great Caruso that Phil's dad's always on about, but a Caruso, all right? It's simply a proclamation, not a message designed to get a response, but simply a statement of fact, a con you know, a proclamation. And it says, the spirits in prison. Now, who are the spirits in prison? Notice, throughout the Bible, people are not called spirits. They're called souls. You notice that? Angels are called spirits because angels are ministering spirits. So here we have spirits in prison who did not obey, who rebelled against God during the time of Noah. Who are we talking about? We're talking about these demons who were chucked down into Tartarus. All right. So then what we have here is that while Jesus was at the center of the earth, in paradise with all the believers, he zaps over into Tartarus to say, sorry, lads, you've lost you're the only ones who don't know. Well, now I'm telling you, so there's no mistake about it, all right? So Jesus proclaims his victory to these demons down in Tartarus. However, the story doesn't end there, because what happens now is there's going to be a massive change. Remember, what we've got are three compartments in the center of the earth. We've got Tartarus, where the demons are. We've got Hades, where the unbelievers are. And we've got Paradise, where all the believers are, all right? Now, a great change is now going to come. Now, let me just establish something with you first, all right, about the ascension of Jesus. We know, all right, that Jesus ascended, all right, and the disciples were all standing around and Jesus ascended back to heaven, all right? And that's true, he did. But what I want to demonstrate to you is that that was not the first time Jesus ascended to heaven. The first time that Jesus ascended to heaven was the day he rose again from the dead. If you turn to John, John 20, we need to see this. It's, it's very important. All right. Find John 20, and I'll read from verse 16. All right. Now, this is where Mary is confronted with Jesus physically, all right? Jesus revealed... It's lovely that he revealed himself to one of the women first. Puts us men in our place, doesn't it? You know, the women, very special to the Lord. And he reveals himself to Mary first, all right? Now, when she realizes who it is, she turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni, which means teacher. Now, listen to this. Jesus said, Do not hold me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. 
Now, I don't want to go into the reasons for this, but notice that Jesus said, Do not hold me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brethren, I, the rest of the disciples, and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and to your God. So notice what Jesus is saying. He says, Mary, you cannot hold me, you mustn't touch me, because I haven't ascended. But go and tell the, the lads, <laughs> go and tell them that I am ascending. Now then, if you move through to the end of the chapter, later on, all right, that day, Jesus is revealing himself to other people and they're allowed to touch him. Can you see? Because Jesus had ascended. Jesus ascended, all right, the day he rose again from the dead. All right, he ascended to the Father <coughs> physically for the first time. Now, this is why it's important. Turn to Ephesians 4, and we're going to see exactly what happened when Jesus ascended on the morning that he rose again from the dead. Remember, what have we got? We've got Jesus, before he rose from the dead, Jesus is in paradise or the believer's compartment. Every believer throughout history is there in a state of bliss, all right? It's called paradise. Uh, uh, do you believe he um, went straight to paradise when he died, or do you believe that there was any period of soul sleep at all? None whatsoever, straight to paradise. There is no soul sleep. At all. That's right. In the Bible, when you get the word sleep, it always refers to the body. In the Bible, sleep, refers to the death of your body all right you see, you know, like Stephen when he was stoned to death he fell asleep he lost his body all right remember death is is being without your body all right there's no soul sleep and in a moment you'll see why there isn't any soul sleep okay now then so we've got Jesus in paradise with all the believers throughout history in a state of bliss We've got Hades the unbelievers compartment we've got Tartarus the place where these demons are. Now then, a great change is now going to take place. Now then, Ephesians 4, and I'm going to read from, I'm just going to read verse 8. I'll read 8 and 9. Therefore, it is said, when he ascended on high, this is talking about Jesus, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives or in some Bibles it says he lives, led captivity captive, right? And he gave gifts to men. Now, listen to verse 9. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower parts of the earth? All right, so it's clear that this is talking about the death of Jesus going into the centre of the earth. It's also where we know that the centre of the earth is in the, where the place of the dead is the centre of the earth. I mean, all Bible teaching tells us exactly where it is. But notice that this is talking about the ascension of Jesus, all right? So he's been in the centre of the earth, the place of the dead, in paradise, for three days and three nights with the believers. He's done his zap over to Tartarus to tell the demons they're beaten. Then we have the point where he's raised again from the dead. And as soon as he's raised from the dead, quick chat with Mary, then he ascends, all right? Now, at that point, when he ascends, it says he led a host of captives, or he led captivity captive now what does that mean it's an you know everyone reading paul's letter would have known what that phrase meant all right and it meant this if a rome i mean sort of let's take rome all right rome was the big power of the day 
when a nation sent its army out to conquer, you know, to go and fight a big city or another nation, remember there was no telephones, there was no Morse code, and there certainly wasn't, you know, Sue Lawley News at 10 or, or whatever <laughs> on the spot reporting. There's nothing like that at all. Remember that, I mean, you didn't know what, I mean, when your army went out, all right, I mean, you didn't hear any of them, anything of them for months. I mean, there was no day blow-by-blow blow account like we had at Falklands. You heard nothing for months about what was happening. Now, in order so that, I mean, sort of say the Romans went out and they, they say they beat up the Syrophoenicians or whatever, all right, they, they beat up whatever city they're going for. Now, they've had a glorious victory. And they want home, they want Rome to share in that glorious victory. But they haven't seen it on television. They haven't, you know, seen the blow-by-blow blow account. So what happened was that the Romans, they'd take all the spoil of the city and they'd have all the soldiers in their opposing army and they'd make slaves of them. And they'd march home in victory. And what they would do is they would march all the soldiers that they caught and made into slaves and all the spoils of that nation They'd march through Rome, they'd lead the captives through Rome so that everyone could see the, sort of the glorious victory that they'd had. They'd lead the spoil captive so everyone could see it, all right? So that is what Paul is talking about. And he's saying here that when Jesus ascended and got back into heaven, Jesus did exactly the same thing. He took and paraded the spoils of the war that he'd waged and the victory he'd won. He paraded it and took it back to heaven with him so everyone could see. Now then, what were the spoils? When Jesus came and died on the cross, what was it he got out of it? What was the spoils? We were the spoils. People saved. Can you see? Now, what happens when Jesus ascended from the dead? He led captivity captive. But who were the captives he led home? They were the believers who he had saved. And what happened was that when Jesus ascended, all the believers throughout history down in paradise with Jesus, not only does Jesus take all them to heaven with him, but he even takes paradise to heaven with him as well. And what happened when Jesus ascended from the dead, when Jesus rose again from the dead and ascended to the Father, he took paradise, he took the believer's compartment with everyone in it, and he took it back to heaven, his home. Now, let me show you that. We've seen very clearly that paradise, when Jesus died, was at the centre of the earth, yeah? Today you'll be with me in paradise, he said, and then he descended into lower parts of the earth. Now, if you turn to 2 Corinthians 11... And I'll prove to you now, conclusively, this is what I love about the Bible, it proves it conclusively, you see, that now paradise has changed places. And if you find, no, 2 Corinthians 12, all right? Now then, listen to this, 2 Corinthians 12. Now this is Paul the Apostle talking about a really amazing experience he had. Um, verse 2. He says, I know a man in Christ, and in fact he's talking about himself. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Let me explain that, the third heaven, because there are three heavens that the Bible speaks of. The first heaven is the atmosphere, all right, the birds of the heavens, all right? The second heaven is outer space, the stars of the heaven, all right? 
But outside of that lot completely is God's home, heaven. And that's the third heaven. Can you see that? The first heaven is the birds of the heavens, as Jesus said, the atmosphere. The second heaven is outer space. The third heaven is God's home outside of the universe totally, all right? And Paul's saying that he was caught up. He went to heaven, right? Now he says, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. So he's saying, I don't know whether I went up there in spirit or physically. He just didn't know. He wasn't bothered at the time, all right? He was too taken up with what was happening. But he says, but I, and I know that this man was caught up into paradise, all right? Paradise has gone from the centre of the earth, and now it's in heaven. Now, this is why, up until the death of Jesus... Old Testament believers died and they went down into paradise. All right? But remember, when Jesus died he, and rose from the, he sat them all back to heaven. Now, that is why you and I, and the constant teaching of the Bible, is that when we die, to depart and be with Christ. Because where do we go? We go straight to paradise. When we die, we go to the place of the dead, the believer's compartment, which is paradise, which is in heaven. You believe that so, is a, a conscious thing? Totally, 100% conscious. So, the scripture which says in, in the dead know nothing, that's in Psalms, is, is that referring no, to No, that's Ecclesiastes. Sorry, Ecclesiastes. That's it, right. Yeah. Now, it, Does, is that referring to unbelievers then? No, it's not, because unbelievers are fully conscious as well, in torment, you see. No, Ecclesiastes, if you read Ecclesiastes, you're going to find a lot of stuff in Ecclesiastes which contradicts the rest of the Bible, all right? And Ecclesiastes is one of the things where people say, oh, the Bible's full of contradictions, man, you know, and that they're all cocky about it. But it's not, because Ecclesiastes is a very specific book. It was written by Solomon. Now, if you read the story of Solomon, Solomon backslid. He forsook the Lord, all right? He came back to the Lord late in his life, but he forsook the Lord. He got into women. Stay away from women. <laughs> no women whatsoever. But Solomon backslid. Now, what happened was that Solomon, remember, he was a philosopher, a natural philosopher. When the Lord said, you have anything you like, he said, I want wisdom. Yeah, he was a man of intellect. Right. All right. Now then, Ecclesiastes, if you read through it, we haven't got time, is Solomon is looking back over the conclusions he reached in his backslidden state. Therefore, Ecclesiastes is a philosophical outlook on life from the point of view of the unbeliever. Can you see? So, so in order to... Say the dead know nothing. That's right. Because unbelievers, they don't believe in God. Annihilation is the only thing. So understanding Ecclesiastes is that Solomon, all right, he's looking back, all right, and he's looking at the philosophizing he did in his backslidden state when he didn't believe anymore. Now, the whole, the keynote of that book is this, all is vanity. Or to put it another way, all is futility, all is meaningless. And as I've said a million times here, if the universe is a result of chance, then there is no meaning to life whatsoever. It's utter futility. So Ecclesiastes are, um, it's, a, it's, it's a Christian who backslid, who's come back to the Lord. Looking back in their backslidden state and, and writing down all the philosophizing they did as an unbeliever, coming to the conclusion it's total vanity, and then coming back to the Lord. So, in fact, that isn't a contradiction at all, because it's a statement from the point of view of the unbeliever, who doesn't believe in God and therefore doesn't believe in eternal life, you see. 
So, you know, but on the point about soul sleep or anything, of course there's no soul sleep. You're conscious all the time. Of course you are. Because when you sort of die, you'll open your eyes immediately and be with Jesus in paradise. When you sleep in Christ, because that's somewhere, isn't it? Right. Oh, yeah. It's all over the place. Uh, We won't go into it, but you'll find every time that when the Bible talks about being asleep, it's the state when you've lost your body. And remember, if you die tonight, you'll lose your body. You will be in paradise and you'll get your body back at the rapture. (laughs) All right. But the point is that in the Bible, when it talks about those who have fallen asleep, it's always talking about those who have died because their body is sleeping. And their body is sleeping, waiting to be resurrected and raised from the dead. Because after you die, you go to be with the Lord in paradise. But at the rapture, you're going to get your body back, only it will be a glorified body. And your body will be in the ground as it were, sleeping, waiting. Because the body has no consciousness. It's only the you in your body that gives your body consciousness. So there's none of this soul sleep. The testimony of Scripture is that, you know, depart and be with the Lord, which is far better. And remember in the story that Jesus gave about the poor man who was a beggar, who was a believer, and the rich man who wasn't a believer, I mean, he, I mean, the unbeliever sort of was in Hades in torment, all right? But what happened to the poor beggar who was a believer? The angels carried him into paradise, into Abraham's bosom. Now that even tells us something else. When you die, the angels are going to come for you and they're going to take you to paradise. You'll actually be um, accompanied through the universe to the limit of the universe where the universe ends and taken home escorted there by the angels to be with Jesus. There's no soul sleep there. It's conscious all the way. That's absolutely fantastic. Now, this is what Jesus has done for us, you see. I mean, this is what salvation is, you see. And can you see how suddenly questions like can you lose your salvation have become irrelevant questions. They're silly questions. They've got nothing to do with the Bible. The whole idea about purgatory... Uh, praying for the saints, making progress. Can you see it all falls to the ground? All these ideas come from elsewhere other than the Bible. But it does say in the Bible about salvation, you can lose your salvation. Where? I don't know where, but it's <laughs> in the Bible. <laughs> 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 I read it the other night, me and Sheila. Is that right? Yeah, I must have it. Once you are saved, right. then you go against well, yes, everything again. You can lose your salvation. It said something. No, no, it doesn't. Are you? Are you I can't bring it next week. Next week, Actually, we have through it about four times here. About this. It's, it's in Hebrews. Mm. It's in two places in Hebrews oh. that talks about it. So uh, we, have, we have been right yeah, through yeah, it. Yeah. You must have been asleep. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, doesn't mean, it doesn't mean what you think it means. Oh, that's right. the point. No, 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 can we, we can stay as long as you like, but we have a cup of tea about ha, Have now. we got any tapes of that? Um, I don't, all I want is hands yeah, up, those who'd like tea. You can have tea, coffee or a cold drink. Hands up. The-